everyone. This is Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Perchance, you have not written a review for this podcast series, and you enjoy it. Would you take some time? You can stop the podcast right now and go to your podcast platform and write a review and give us a five-star rating. If you would do that, there's not selfish ambition involved on my part. Seriously, there really isn't. But this is a way that signals the algorithms that this is a podcast that is worth listening to. And so if you believe that to be true, would you be so kind to write us a review and give us a a good rating? Thank you so much for being here. This is episode 354. This is my second take my second treatment of a podcast series that I am reviewing from Christianity Today. They put together a multi-episode series that chronicles the story of Mars Hill Church led, was led, by Mark Driscoll. The church was planted in 1996, dissolved in 2014. At its height, they had 15,000 plus attendees slash members from 15 campuses. Now, what CT has done is they have produced this podcast series. Not sure how many podcasts they are going to have, but they have done this for the encouragement as well as the admonition of the body of Christ. Now, what I want to do is I want to review each episode. I have already done episode number one. And you can find that in our series in Life Over Coffee is episode 353. Don't want to confuse you there. But episode 353 is titled Response to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, episode 1. This is 354, Response to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, episode 2. Now, my plan is to review all the episodes. I, I would imagine they're going to have, you know, eight, nine, ten of them, and so I want to do that many reviews. But this is what I want you to hear. As I do a review of the episode, I don't want to regurgitate what they said in their episode. That's their episode. That's their research. That's their journalism, their investigation. There is no need for me to repeat that information. That is woefully redundant. You can listen to the podcast yourself. But what I want to do, rather than repeat what Mike Cosper and others have put, have put out from CT, what I want to do is to put forth insights that we can apply to our lives and also to our church culture. The reason I want to do that is because, well, honestly, we can't do anything about Mars Hill or Mark Driscoll for that matter. We have no influence. Mars, Mars Hill is defunct. Mark Driscoll, I think, is resurfaced in, in Arizona. But we can't really impact that. But what we can impact is the log in our eye and also our own church culture. And I'm talking about in a charitable way, a humble way, not a cynical and a suspicious way. We don't want to address anyone cynically or suspiciously, but we do want to have the courage to be able to come alongside those that we love, including those who have spiritual authority over our lives, and to be an encouragement to them. And so there are some things that I believe that we can learn uh, from this podcast series and bring application because the truth is we don't want 
what happened at Mars Hill, we don't want it to happen in our churches, and I think we're in full agreement with that. So I trust in this review of episode two of the rise and fall of Mars Hill that it will be bring benefit to you personally as well as maybe give you some clarity or some insight, maybe some talking points with a leader or two within your local church. Now, let me give you just a few caveats that I'm not going to get into with great detail because I covered this in uh, episode one, but I'm aware that people can dip into our podcast, not necessarily chronologically in which they were produced, and maybe this is the first review that you're listening to, and so because of that, without being completely redundant, I do want to hit a couple of bullet points that's important as you listen, should you choose to listen to the podcast series from CT. And one of the points that I made in episode one review is that Christianity Today is a woke social justice leaning organization, and that is a presupposition. And it's important for you to understand that because they will bring an interpretation to the narrative, and it won't be standing on the strength of God's word in many cases. And so you will need to listen with discernment. Just because they are saying it, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. But I would also say that about anything that I present to you as well. Listen with discernment. We don't have to be suspicious. We don't have to be cynical, but we must be discerning and knowing that Christianity today does not stand on a solid sufficiency of Scripture worldview is vital as you listen to these podcasts, should you choose to do so. Now, secondly, they provide very little Scripture. I mean, I want to say none, but I don't want to speak in an absolute sense, so I say virtually they bring no Bible to bear on what they are presenting to you. Now, as I said in the first episode, that that's not necessarily a critique because it would be terribly tedious to attach a verse to every sentence that you say or every sentence that you write. Plus, it would be a cumbersome reading or listening experience. And so I understand that. But what I, my point is, because their presuppositional position is woke and social leaning, and they don't bring Bible to bear on what they are presenting, you have to. You have to interpret everything they are saying through a sufficiency of Scripture worldview. Now, in this episode, for example, some of the folks that they put forth to explain the rise and fall of Mars Hill are such people as Rick Warren, Amy Simple McPherson, which was a Canadian uh, evangelist of a bygone era, uh, a preacher, a woman preacher, Robert Schuler, I'll talk more about him later, Bill Hybels of Willow Creek fame, and then Christian Dumay, who wrote the uh, book Jesus and John Wayne, which is just an awful book. Now, this is what I want you to hear. These folks are either heretics or they are just Christian popularizers or they are fallen individuals or they don't hold to a strong sufficiency of Scripture worldview. And as you listen through this entire CT podcast series, you will hear a cavalcade 
of non-believers, heretics, wokesters, progressives, former Christians like Josh Harris, who is going to dip in around episode seven or eight, and other folks who align more with Christianity today than historical Christianity throughout this series. Now, that is important. So the people that they, the majority of the people that they are bringing forth to bring analysis to the rise and fall of a Christian church are, as I said, some are heretics, some are just um lukewarm popularizers, some are fallen individuals, some don't hold to a strong sufficiency of Scripture worldview, some are uh, non-believers, some are heretics, some are wokesters, and some are progressives, some are former Christians. There are a lot of these people throughout this series. You know, if you're going to talk about the rise and fall of anyone, the rise and fall of Rick Thomas, the rise and fall of Grace Community Church, uh, John MacArthur in Sun Valley, California, the rise and fall of Mark Driscoll, the rise and fall of whomever. You should bring an authority of Scripture perspective to it. And this podcast series is weak on that. Number two, you should interview those who stand on the authority of Scripture. You should bring forth people who are solid on God's word, and they stand on it, and they, they're undeviating to it. But again, that's not predominantly what you're going to hear through this series. It would have been great if they talked to folks who had more robust positions on the authority of Scripture and plus a high view of the local church. But because of their presuppositional worldview. They were leaning more toward those who align with their weak theological tendencies. And so those are a few caveats about the first two episodes that I've listened to. I'm reviewing episode two right now. Now here is a quick podcast review because I want to spend most of the time, I want to give you uh, five takeaways as far as things that we can apply to our lives, the log in my eye, and also as we uh, continue to love and appreciate and assess and evaluate our unique church cultures. But as far as a podcast review, the point of the the point of uh, the episode two was how specific people built large churches. The title of the episode two, by the way, I did I don't think I gave it to you. The title of it is Boomers, the Big Sort, and Really, Really Big Churches. Boomers, the Big Sort, and Really, Really Big Churches. And I think the point of episode two, now, it was not clear. I mean, the point of this podcast was not clear, but I think it was how specific people built large churches. And that was... The point. They talk about Robert Schuller, Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, and others. Uh, and so three quarters of the podcast was a historical journey on the megachurch movement from the mid 80s until the day. And then the final part, I would say roughly 25%, they talked about Mark Driscoll, but there was really no point. And so this podcast was, it was a historical narrative of megachurches, secret churches from the mid-80s 
to now loosely tied to Mark Driscoll because he had a large church in Seattle, Washington. Now, Mike opened uh, Cosper, the one who was narrating this series, he opened with Rick Warren, and then he talked about uh, some predecessors to the big church movement. Charles Spurgeon had a large um, church uh, in London. D.L. Moody had a large church in Chicago, I believe. And then he mentioned Amy Simple McPherson, who was a big-time evangelist uh, out of Canada. And he just clumps these people together, Rick Warren, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, and Amy Simple McPherson with no caveat or explanation. But these three individuals, Spurgeon, Moody, and McPherson, were predecessors with big churches. And then he transitioned and spent a good bit of time talking about Robert Schuller. Uh, you, you may remember Robert Schuller, I think in Orange County, California, who uh, built the Crystal uh, Cathedral. Robert Schuller basically was mentored by no Norman Vincent Peale. Norman Vincent Peale, the power of positive thinking. Uh, he's the godfather of PMA books, positive mental attitude books. Before I became a Christian, those were the books that I read more than anything else. And that's typically uh, what people would read who do not aren't Christians or don't have a sufficiency of Scripture worldview. They will read PMA books, self-help type books. Mike called, here's an interesting point, Mike called uh, Schuler's preaching progressive. Now this is, so you listen to that, and this is what I'm talking about, this worldview that CT has. Schuler's preaching was heretical. He was a universalist, and he there were so many doctrinal uh, problems with this man, but Mike calls him progressive rather than just saying that he's heretical, which points to the theological softness of Christianity today. And then later on, Mike mentions uh, uh, Christian uh, Dumais, the author of Jesus and John Wayne, how white evangelicals corrupted a faith and fractured a nation. Well, that's a whopping title. And he presented her and had her comment on Driscoll without caveat, as though she is an authority on the problem in evangelicalism. She's a liberal social justice warrior with an agenda against masculinity, but she, again, she fits within the CT worldview. And then finally, uh, Mike gave a brief history also of Chuck Smith and Lonnie Frisbee and the Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard Movements. Again, all of this was was collect, gathered and collected, and it was a historical review of the large, uh, the large church movement. That's that's what it was. Now, again, my purpose in reviewing this popular, it's wildly popular. I mean, I'm hearing about it like from everywhere. I mean, people are just talking about it. They're listening to it. There's an element of entertainment here, um, and and I, I get that. I'm, I'm just not comfortable. There's an element of uncomfortableness with me about this series because it, it, it just tends to lean toward, if people are taking this series and they're really turning it onto themselves and on their local churches and what can I learn, how can I grow, rather than just stirring up some very bad stuff that um, 
then you know I'm okay with it. But there is a level of of uncomfortableness with me to talk about this. But because it's so popular, I do want to add a perspective, and I do want to point to some log in my eye and uh, local church application that we all can make. I'm disinterested in fodder for unwholesome, non-redemptive speech. The Mars Hill toothpaste cannot go back into to, into the tube, but we can learn from what happened in Seattle, hoping to mature as individuals as well as serve our local leaders and churches. And so with that in view, I have five takeaways for personal application that I want to share with you again. This is episode 354 of our Life Over Coffee podcast series. It's titled Response to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, Episode 2. You can listen to that episode if you wish. My number one takeaway, and by the way, you can read the bulleted, you can read what I'm sharing with you if you go to episode 354. But the number one takeaway that came out of uh, this podcast, and it was throughout, I mean, it was just really throughout, it's phenomenal, uh, is John 3.30. One of the shorter verses in scripture, it says this, here's the sentence, uh, it's seven words. He must increase, but I must decrease. That was my number one takeaway listening to this uh, CT episode number two, because it was evident that uh, many of the men that they put forth, they had increased themselves. They were bigger than life. They were popularized, and Christ was very small. And so this verse in John 3.30 just became louder and louder throughout the podcast. He must increase. Talk about Christ. I, Rick, must decrease. Now, here's a couple of questions I want you to think about. Do you make more of Jesus or yourself? That applies to me as well. Do I make more of Jesus or do I make more of myself? Now, here's the second question to your local church. Do you make more of Jesus or do you make make more of your pastor? And maybe you can ask this also from a pastoral perspective. Does your pastor make more of Christ or does he make more of himself, uh, a celebrity pastor or a wannabe celebrity pastor, and he is really big, but Jesus is small, even though it's very sanctified and it may be hard to perceive. This is a huge question for us to think about because this is exactly what Mark Driscoll did. And I say that recognizing that this is my temptation too. I love me more than anyone else. You love you more than anyone else. That is our Adamic tendency, and we want to resist that. And the solution to resisting that is for the increase of Christ and the decrease of ourselves, as John the Baptist was teaching us in John 3.30. And so my first takeaway is that verse just became louder and louder because Christ was not on the increase. There were a lot of little men who were puffing them up, blowing themselves up. And, of course, um, there were some disasters that happened, and the one that's being addressed here is Mars Hill. Number two is pragmatism. Uh, 
Now, I was talking about pragmatism in episode one, but it came through again here. And so I think we might have a theme that's working through this series. We will see. But in the first two episodes, they talk about pragmatism, meaning it's the results that matter. There was a critical moment where Mike Cosper presented when Mark Driscoll was speaking at Robert Schuller's Crystal, Crystal Cathedral. And here's the quote that Mark said. I, he, he was describing his preaching to Robert Schuller. He was on stage, and the audience, whatever size it was, they were all there, and there was a lot of laughter and applause and so forth and so on. And so this was a live moment on a mic. He said this, I yell a lot and get excited. It's working. Those two words, I think, are the most important two words in this entire podcast that Mike Cosper uh, presented in episode two. Mark Driscoll said, it's working, meaning I yell a lot, I get excited, like what I am doing, the method that I have, it's working. It's not like God is doing something fantastic. No, this is me. I yell a lot and I get excited. I am increased, and it's working, and people are coming. Now, again, I talked about pragmatism in episode one. The pragmatic problem is a huge temptation with discontented or misguided souls. They deviate from the authority of Scripture. They deviate from the exaltation of Christ, and they look for mechanisms and best practices and methodologies in order to build something great. And I think when Driscoll said on stage at the Crystal Cathedral to Robert Schuller in front of a live audience, it's working. It gives insight into his mindset. It gives insight to this desire for pragmatism to gain results. Here's the question for you. Is there a temptation to become something you are not? To reach more people, for example? And this idea of reaching more people, it kind of sanitizes the insidious motivation to become something that you are not. There are several ministry leaders that I know who are more like actors in the public space, and it's so different from who they are in private, that they amp it up, that they intensify it for the entertainment value or to draw people. They're building an audience on personality, and there's so much of that that happens, and that is exactly what Mark Driscoll was doing. He was building a followership based on his personality. I yell a lot and get excited, and it's working, and we have 15,000 people that are showing up at 15 campuses every Sunday. We are building something here. They're building something on a personality that is not true to whoever Mark Driscoll really is, because I'm pretty doggone sure that, well, I would hope that he doesn't yell a lot and get excited inside his home. There should be continuity between who we are in private and who we are in public, even in how we present ourselves. But once the camera comes on, once the mic is turned up, once the lights come on, there can be a temp temptation to deviate in order to manipulate. 
And Mark Driscoll gave us insight from his own lips. So number two was pragmatism. Point number three, as far as my takeaway, was leader qualities. An excellent point that Mike Cosper made was about the divergence between a leader's charisma and character. He talked a good bit about this in the podcast. You see, if you place the accent mark on charisma, which is what virtually everybody did with Mark Driscoll, it will lead to a certain kind of leader and a certain kind of organization because the accent, again, is kind of tied to what I was saying earlier about pragmatism. I yell a lot and I get excited. You could say, you could substitute and say, I, I have a lot of charisma. I am charismatic and it's working. We're talking about point number three here, leader qualities. And if you separate charisma and character and then place the accent mark on charisma over character, it's going to give you a particular kind of leader and it's going to give you a particular kind of organization and both will be built on haywood and and stubble. But if you put the accent mark on the character of the individual, it will be a completely different kind of leader and experience that you will have with that leader. Let me ask you a question under point number three, leader qualities. When you think of your leader at your local church or your leadership team, does charisma or character come to mind first? What is the answer to that question? When you think about your leader or leaders, does charisma or their character bleed through first? This is a huge question that we really must honestly assess. If, if people were really paying attention and really had the courage, if they were assessing Mark Driscoll, even his own testimony stated that, but it was quite obvious that they were building a church on an individual's charisma and not their character. Point number four, the charismatic leader. When you have a charismatic leader, you put the accent mark on the charisma, what happens is the church turns inward with a focus on the leader and on his qualities, on his charisma, his vision, his boldness, and even his narcissism. You know, people will say, hey, come here, my pastor, he's terrific. If you place charisma over character, the pastor will be the de facto leader and then what will happen is he will demand loyalty over honesty. Now, Mike, this is not me saying this. Mike brought this out, but it's true. If the, if, if the leader is raised up because of his charisma, then you're going to start building on that leader. And because there's no accountability and he's getting his approval fix on, there won't be long before he will demand loyalty over honesty. And you will self-censor. Now, ironically, the Crystal Cathedral filed for bankruptcy in 2010. They sold the campus in 2012. Mars Hill dissolved in 2014. Bill Hybels and Willow Creek have their story of dysfunction, too. These organizations built their ministries on the charisma of the leaders. And so if you put the accent mark on charisma over character, then you're going to start building on that charismatic leader, and eventually he will become the authoritarian, the de facto leader, and no one will be able to speak against him. Here's the question. Is your leader intreatable 
or defensive when you bring negative assessments to him, meaning you bring them humbly, you bring them charitably, you bring them with the log in your eye. But because you love your leader, you want to speak into his life. Is he entreatable or is he defensive? And that will tell you a lot about where he places the accent mark on himself or Christ. Again, point number one in my five takeaways. Number one was Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. Number two, pragmatism. It was about getting results. And Mark had a charismatic personality. As he said, it works. Number three, leader qualities. If the leader's charisma is the main point of focus, then you'll have a certain kind of organization, and it won't last. And then number four, charismatic leader. Well, eventually he will become the de facto leader. You will love him. You'll invite everybody to come hear him. You will uh, get all his sermon downloads, but you're building on uh, haywood and stubble. As I illustrated, for example, Crystal Cathedral uh, sold in 2012, Mars Hill dissolved in 2014, and Bill head has his problems as well. And then point number five, leader or scripture. Oswald Chambers said an unguarded strength is a double weakness. I love that quote. Mark Driscoll has several unguarded strengths. He's a gifted man. There's no question about that. Mike was interviewing someone who talked about Mark, and this is how they said it. They said they talked about Mark like not having a flaw, but a feature. You see, this thing about yelling a lot and getting excited, nobody saw that as flaws. They saw it as features. And this gentleman that Mark was interviewing, he went on to say he listed some of his features. Here was three of them, sharp tongue, quick mind, and bravado. Nobody saw those as flaws. They saw them as features, the charisma of the leader. Oswald Chambers said an unguarded strength is a double weakness. They built a ministry on those strengths. You could put those strengths in quotation marks. Without biblical authority, the church's leader becomes the authority, and the followership realigns themselves to what that biblical authority says and what that pastor sanctions. Mark Driscoll was the authority. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.